0: hey guys welcome to project a plus my hey guys (laughs) gang let's stick with gang (coughs) hey gang welcome to project a plus my name is uh i want to say mason hugh hugh and i'm joined as always by
1: joined as always by me hunter uh the war machine sawyer oh no i said my last name
0: we can scrub that no that's fine Which is a confusing uh, terminology because scrubbing, when it comes to post-production editing suites, actually refers to hearing real-time sound as you scroll through a clip, not in real-time. That's so interesting. Like in uh, Final Cut Pro, for example, the popular film editing, film and video editing application. Please continue to tell me
1: about scrubbing.
0: You can scroll your mouse over a clip so it, like... Shows you a preview of, of the clip at various <gasps> stages, not in real time. And it will also simultaneously play a version of the audio at each point. So you can really quickly isolate a particular section of the track.
1: Do you know what you talking about this reminds me of? Great comedy? No. Uh, well, yes, actually it does. A great comedic video bit, which is that um, amazing Jennifer Aniston, Matthew Perry, uh, Windows, was it 95 or 2000?
0: I think it was Windows ninety five.
2: No,
1: because
0: I know that was a bit early. Actually, it was it wasn't two thousand. It was in the nineties.
1: You sure? Yeah. When did Friends die?
0: Friends went forever, but it started like if... ninety four or something like that.
1: Did I, Did I tell you my uh, great idea for a Friends continuation? Hmm. Which is that it's it's set after they've all died, right? And it's just it plays like the the it does the Friends like you know the the opening. So no yourself.
2: one told you that was gonna be yeah, this yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, Everyone knows, everyone knows. He he job's a joke. But oh, my he lord. He lefty
2: away. It's like you're always stuck in second gear. When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. But I'll be there for you. Yeah, EK, you got it, you got even it. Too poor. I'll be there for you. When the rain starts to pour, I'll be
1: there okay. for okay, you. Okay. All right, Looking can I, can I
2: continue now? Can I Executive continue? Executive produces Martin Crane.
1: Yep. What? Uh, anyway, so it would be that, but the, and the theme music could play and everything. But um, the
0: theme music... So no one told you life was going
1: to be that way. Okay, if you can sing gonna it again, I'm going to get this call, and then you're going to edit Just it. Hugh, you, remember you're already going to edit this in the future? You're going to go through
2: this. You're going to go through you singing like this not once, but twice. When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year, I'll be there for you. When the rain starts to pour, I'll be there for you. Like, I've been there before. I remember the lines from be this time. I'll be there for you, and you're there for me too. Do, 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 yeah.
1: Okay. So it does that. But all the shots, instead of having the friends frolicking in uh, New York, it's just empty shots. It's just the shot devoid of life, right? Mm-hmm. And then, after the theme music, it would have the... Oh, you
2: mean that... Over. So no one told you Don't that was... Don't fucking say
1: it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus because Christ. You Jesus Christ. <laughs> last year, you know what? I'm not even... I'm not it's
2: gonna finish, like it. I'm not gonna like finish, finish it. I'm not gonna finish it. I'm not gonna finish telling you. No. Second gear. What has <laughs> been your day, your month, your week, even your year, but Don't you have to I'll be soon for you. When the rain starts to pour, we've already been talking I'll be for an there hour. For you. Uh, like I've been there before, I'll be there for you, and you'll be there for me. Yeah. Then what?
1: I'm not gonna tell you. All right. So, uh, <laughs> welcome to Project A Plus. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do it. The theme. So no one talks. I'm taking off my headphones.
2: See this <laughs> way. Your job's a joke, you broke. Your love's life the away. <clears throat> it's like you're always stuck in second gear. When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. Well, I'll be there for you. When the rain starts to pour, I'll be there for you. Like I've been there before, I'll be there for you, and you'll be there for me, too. Okay. I hate you.
1: Okay. This week on the podcast, we're discussing two films, um, which I think uh, share, I think, two things in common. Would you agree with me there? Yes. Uh, And what are the two things? Okay,
0: so the first thing is obviously dinosaurs.
1: Okay. Wow, that's a great
0: joke. Uh, the second thing, they're both based on characters and situations
1: created by Michael Crichton. Do you do you have like a good team writing these for you, or is it just, like, all come from, from you? Look, you
0: have seen through my scheme. Although I originate much of the material, I do um, outsource it for some punch-up. Gotcha. But again, that's just punch-up. They're not contributing their own ideas. or They're just tweaking what was already there, and what was already funny, even in its original format. Uh, uh,
1: can, I, can, I, can I rephrase it a little bit? Hmm. See, you sort of um, come up with the, uh, the seed of the idea, right? And they're actually tasked with uh, making it actually funny.
0: I think that would be an unfair way of characterising the situation.
1: Uh, the criterion question is how a sale. Right, mm. so they do. They do fifty percent off all of their which which isn't as interesting as it was when I was younger. Because oftentimes you can get um, Criterion Collection Blu rays on sale on Amazon for like forty percent off the like retail price. So it's a, it's not quite as special as it was when I was like in college, right? But I still I still like to pick up some really expensive stuff because like it's you know you can pick up like the the big sets for way less than you would normally pay for i guess you want to hear about my acquisitions right
0: we're all waiting
1: <laughs> with with bated breath and uh penises and vaginas in hand i imagine mm-hmm. so i purchased four films and one tv series tv series is probably the thing i was most excited about getting i'm really glad that i got it which is weird because you're not that much of a tv guy well it's like a mini series but it's by one of my favorite directors so whatever uh i am a tv guy made of television
0: I'm guessing it's Twin
1: Peaks to return. No, I already have that. They, 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 Criterion doesn't put that out. They did put out Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me, which I've not gotten. Yeah, I forgot we were talking about Criterion. But I would buy that normally. But it's basically the same features as on the Blu-ray that already exists. They came with like the complete Twin Peaks like uh, mystery thing that they put out. Like that was just all the original series, and then uh, so I don't really see much reason in double dipping with that, because i already own the complete series. I bought Michael Mann's Thief, uh, The Blu-ray of Merry Christmas Sister Lawrence, A Touch of Zen, uh, The New World, which I actually already owned on on Blu-ray, right? But I only owned the extended cut, and the Blu-ray edition that they put out has uh, three different cuts of the film, and then a bunch of other special features, and I was like, that seems like a good enough edition that I'll double dip with it.
0: What's What's the best cut
1: of The New World? I mean, I've only seen one of them, so I don't know. Did he
0: go back and do, like, a recent giant cut or something?
1: Um, I think he did an exclusive cut for this edition that's, like, just, like, the the Tree of Life cut that's coming out later this summer um, that I'm also going to pick up 100%. But, yeah, I think it's, like, 57 minutes or something longer than me that I'm just regurgitating the fact of the original. It is. Whatever. Um, and then I also got uh, Berlin Alexanderplatz, the complete series, <laughs> which I'm really excited about watching is uh, directed by Fassbender I've heard
0: good things about yeah
1: yeah. it's like apparently his masterpiece it's like a hundred million hours long so there you go that's what I'm I, mean, I haven't finished buying stuff I'm trying I'm still trying to because I didn't have I want to get the Age of Innocence which they just put out um, the Scorsese version I don't know if there's another version but I, 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 I the Noble that I went to did not have that in stock uh, and I'm thinking about getting this Agnes Varda box set too that's it. That's what I'm- that's what I purchased this week. <laughs> what about you? Make any big purchases recently?
0: I'm budgeting, so I
1: do not buy things. How's the, uh, how's the job search going?
0: Honestly, I'll probably start, um, properly trying to get one, like, next year.
1: <laughs> Jesus Christ!
0: <laughs> i think like the Cavalier writing off this year. <laughs> This year, we uh, work on making the podcast the, the greatest thing ever. And the next next year, it'll pay for itself.
1: Oh yeah,
0: I mean, editing these things like drives you mad. Absolutely drives. that it. I was doing it yesterday, actually. So um, you know how I said that while I have the opportunity, I'm going to try and be disciplined and work on my on my own things. Right?
1: Have you already failed?
0: It's been a bit of a like uh, erratic success for the first month. While I'm settling in, but the last two days I I did do more than a full day's work each day. Um, the first day on writing, which is an amazing achievement given how torturous I find writing, and the second day yesterday was a full day of uh, no, I was actually like ten hours of podcast. Jesus Christ! Um, this episode of anon and and whatever. Body double.
1: <laughs> this is the second time you've forgotten that.
0: Took a took yeah body double took a long time. It it goes for it goes for ages and then it just cuts off before we even finish talking because that was when I forgot to start the recording again. That was really funny. And the worst part is I was like, this is the this is the moment when the podcast actually gets good and I start doing uh, <laughs> James Mason impressions and it's all gone. <laughs> and the the worst bit this is kind of what prompted me to say that we should uh, do the last bit a bit differently. We talk about funny people for so long. <laughs> <laughs> we should just cut out all the funny people stuff. No, I mean the funny isn't. It's not a like. It's not a terrible discussion. It's not necessarily a good analysis of the film or anything like that, if such a thing is possible. Because we kind of discursively talk about his stand-up special and <laughs> dating people who like funny people and stuff like that. So. But that
1: allows that allows the viewer to be like, oh, these are real people versus. That's right. That's right. <laughs>
0: the problem. The problem with some of these episodes is that it literally feels like. So this way we're going to be talking about these two films and that's like the name of the episode. And then we go, oh, what else have we been watching? Oh, I watched this. And then we launch into a discussion that's like exactly the same.
1: I think we should cut it up into two parts. I think that was a good idea.
0: That's kind of not necessarily distinguishing them, even though they're in two parts.
1: But this is the way we talk about movies. Like,
0: you know what I mean? We're so passionate. It just just comes out this way. Um, No, no. Even if you split it into two podcasts, it would still be difficult to say how one distinguishes itself from the other. Because technically, the main podcast is also what we've been watching in the last week. It's just that we've both seen the films, which also sometimes happens with the films we watch independently. We've both seen them. I think, ideally, this is my proposal. Basically, the way our timing has gone fairly consistently is that we spend about half an hour in total talking about the main films. And up until this point, we then spend another at least half an hour talking about the other stuff. Right.
1: Uh-huh.
0: But I reckon it would be good if it was like 30 minutes on the main films, which is fine. That seems a reasonable, at uh, least discussion. And then a shorter time frame on the other ones. Um, uh, not necessarily 10 minutes. Like, I guess we'll see how it goes, but where it's more like, okay, this is a picture of the stuff I've been looking at this week. So I've been looking at these films.
1: So instead of being like, um, we're going to select them, we should just talk about all the films to a sub degree. And then, yeah,
0: I think so. And then just maybe make some comments about ones you want to talk about a little bit more yeah. uh, or anything you like.
1: Yeah. That sounds fine to me. I feel like it's going to into us getting, going on digressions and then just being into this. But...
0: Cause when it volleys <laughs> back and forth is what, I mean, this is a, again, like I said, possibly a bias of the fact that I'm editing them. And it's a different experience than just listening to an hour and then, like, spending eight hours going through it. I got to say,
1: I think I think we have different podcast possibilities. Because the podcasts that I really responded to when I was a younger person, to some degree now, are ones that very much go on, like, one digressions.
0: Well, there's a part of me that likes that, like the, you know, like the um, REM ones, I guess, that sometimes go for, like, two and a half hours.
1: <laughs> Look, I, I've listened to podcasts that are, like, three and a half hours, like... He starts to do a like, gaming podcast, it's like regular. puts out podcast that are that long.
0: I mean, the the problem is though that it's not necessarily we've extended it because we've gone on this weird discursive rant. It's that we're volley- volleying back and forth. Like, here's a chunk. Now I'm gonna talk about this film that I thought was the best I saw this week, and then we spend like a-, a long time talking about that. And then you talk about that. We spend a long time talking about that. and Then it goes back to me. And it feels kind of um, clunky. So you think you should just do it
1: all in one burst, then?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's fine. Let's do that then. I'm open to the podcast it being extended beyond the normal runtime if there was something on it that justified it. Like if we actually went on a weird tangent. What'd you do? That, that actually turned out to be like interesting when you h- heard it back or funny.
1: <laughs> uh, we're, very, we're very funny people.
0: Like I have no problem with, with that possibility. But I would say, like the the set format should be like that, um, because I think what you want with the second half of the show is to give people. This sounds stupid, but give people a window into our viewing habits and it's like and what our particular focuses are that week and stuff like that, as opposed to here's a bunch of other
1: films. I mean, I guess, but like it feels like you're trying to like create a theme or them- thematize something that doesn't like naturally like when it's up because like it's not like I base my viewing habits on some like you know, larger plan for the most part.
0: No, no, no. But I mean, it's more like, not so much like uh, we're, we're part of a film course and we had to watch these X number of films this week. No, sure, sure, sure. But like a window into how we live with films in a way. You know? How we live with film. <laughs> that should be the name of the segment. How we live with film. <laughs> that should be the name of our podcast.
1: Yeah, we talk about our various film addictions.
0: Yeah. We shouldn't feel pressure to like change our viewing habits in order to make the segment sound more pretentious or something like that like it should just be like a reflection of of what we've been doing all right well
1: let's try it out then and remember we want to set it up <laughs> <laughs> so who wants to set it up i think you do i think you're ch- champy at the bit okay
0: now what is that weird falling noise i hear
1: honestly don't know okay there's someone playing music outside my window so maybe it's that
0: no no it sounded like you doing like r- unwrapping a lolly
1: no. <laughs> oh, that was he rolling and rolling a piece of paper Okay <laughs> Okay, I'll stop doing that I mean, you, as long as you
0: don't do it when you speak You can roll the paper all you
1: like Okay <laughs> this will be when we have super fans They'll be like, what is Hunter messy with this week? I've already written that
0: into the description Of the latest episode so. <laughs> Great minds think alike uh, Anyway, I'll stop browsing the internet what are we doing?
1: Okay, uh, should, we just, should we just start the podcast over?
0: Okay, so probably like on balance, I'll cut out all the suicide stuff. <laughs> probably on balance, I'll cut out the racially questionable <laughs> <laughs> section. Segment you on the you can just say racist, I think. I think that's okay. <laughs> you think racism's okay? All right, whatever. I yeah, think, of course. I think course. I beg to differ there, so I think I put my foot down there. But Uh. I can assure you, and I stake my life upon it, Mm. that the... You are a racist. No, that all four renditions of the opening theme title to the hit TV show Friends, as recorded by the Rembrandts, will feature on this podcast. Wait, Rembrandt did the... I didn't know he was at the music. Yeah, Rembrandt, Rembrandt is <laughs> the theme to
2: Friends. That's crazy. Uh,
0: sorry, technically it's the Rembrandts, like him and his family. <laughs> no. We're a band. It's
1: like the Carpenters. Exactly. Uh, anyway, God, okay. Uh, take take 63. Take 63 at the theme tune on the no, podcast. No, if you sing that again, I'm going to stop <laughs> talking to you. Like, I'm not even kidding.
0: <laughs> okay, um... I'm not, I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to ask you a question about the lyric. Is the opening line... So no I, bar- one...
1: I barely watched the show, friends. I cannot answer this.
0: Well, okay, you can just choose which one you think is right from these two options. Is the opening line, so no one told you that was going to be this way, or so no one told you life was going to be this way? That would be this way? I'm not sure.
1: I thought it was it would be this way.
0: No one told you it was going to be this way? Yeah. I guess that could be it too. I thought I read it written down somewhere as life recently. And that made me question what I'd always thought. There's actually another segment of the song.
1: Yeah, it was, it was life. You're right.
0: Okay, there we go. But there's also another section of the song that I've uh, historically misheard. So
1: no one told you life was gonna be this way. Your job's a joke, you're broke, your love life's DOA. It's like you're always stuck in second gear when it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. But I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you like I've been there before. There you go. That's it. That's all I'm going to do.
2: We got one more line. Come on.
1: Bring it home. I'll be there for you because you're there for me too. Yeah. So, okay.
0: So, you know the line, um, your job's a joke. You're broke. Your love life's DOA.
2: Yeah.
0: So throughout my entire adolescence. (laughs) Which continues to this day. And early adulthood. I thought it was your love, your love life's the old way.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And I was like, that's dumb. And that also rhymes with... that. That's reusing the word that ended the first half of the couplet, So it's rhyming the same word with the same word. And then later I discovered it was DOA. So I apologize to... Actually, the Rembrandts, they didn't write the song. They just performed the rendition. Oh, they
1: just performed it. Hmm. But you still want to apologize to Rembrandt, I assume. All the
0: Rembrandts who were involved. (laughs) Because they... um, Uh, conscious of the fact that Rembrandt being a painter has a much greater reputation than the other members. They're, they're a bit sensitive about him being isolated from the rest of the group. And that's why they're called the Rembrandts, plural, not the famous Rembrandt and his family.
1: Hmm. So interesting.
0: It would have been funny if I, if I remembered his first name, (laughs) Marcel, I don't
1: know. I don't know. Well, uh, let's get on with it. So, uh, which of these films would you like to discuss first? We'll discuss the bigger film.
0: Let's discuss Jurassic World first.
1: Uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom.
0: Who wants the honors of explaining the plot?
1: I'll do it. Alright. So, uh, it's a sequel to the film Jurassic World, which I haven't seen. Nor have I. Which is in turn a sequel to the, the, the Jurassic Park uh, trilogy, which I haven't seen.
0: And I have seen.
1: Mm, all three of them?
0: All three. Yeah. So the only missing piece of the puzzle is the original Jurassic World, whereas you have one piece of the puzzle and it's this film.
1: Yeah. Well, you have four pieces of the five piece puzzle. Yes. <laughs> and you actually have another piece, which is the uh, the Book of Henry.
0: I have the Book of Jurassic Park.
1: You do. Yep. I you know, I've Michael... read other i've uh, I've read other Michael Crichton books, but I've not read Jurassic Park. So have <laughs> I, I was a Michael Crichton fanboy. I was not a fan of big fan of Michael Crichton, but I read him in the same period where I read him on, like, Stephen King and stuff like that. Obviously, Stephen King's better.
0: Come on, man. Crichton all the way.
1: Michael Crichton sucks.
0: He made me rethink my position on global warming.
1: (laughs) 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 Oh my god, what an idiot. Anyway. So, uh, this movie follows from Jurassic World taking its protagonist. His name is Owen? Uh...
0: Is it? Yeah, I guess it is Owen. Yeah, Owen
1: and, and Bryce Dallas Howard, whose character... Wait, Claire? Claire, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that one I did not remember until I started saying it. Uh, but I, I literally did not remember any of their characters' names.
0: You could have told me either of their names this anything, and I would have gone, okay. Just,
1: just, just a generic uh, Anglo-derived male and female name um certainly um as they travel on the behest of a uh, possibly villainous possibly not a mysterious benefactor played by Rafe spall and the person he represents who is apparently the guy who did jurassic park's original partner or something like that uh, i don't know I, I didn't get that part played by james cromwell uh as they go to rescue the dinosaurs off the island where the Jurassic World theme park was set up um, because there's a volcano that's going to detonate and kill all the dinosaurs. And isn't that sad? The poor dinosaurs. It's going to blow.
2: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Nope, no, nope, stop saying. So you, you've already sung so much. Volcano, okay.
1: Uh, and so they go there with some other, some teammates who are played by some actors who I didn't recognize uh, they meet um, the Buffalo Bill slash the police captain for Monk. They go to the island. Some bad stuff happens. Maybe the dinosaurs go back to America. I don't know. What did you think of the movie Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom?
0: Okay, so uh, I might set this up by establishing my Jurassic credentials. <laughs> my, my Jurassic franchise credentials.
1: Yeah, sure, sure, sure.
0: Uh, I was definitely the right age for the original Jurassic Park.
1: Um, being some sort of child at the time. Have you seen it since you were a child? Oh, yeah, I think it holds up really well. Okay, so I, so it might be something that is will that I should maybe go back and watch.
0: I think it's it's a it's a really fun Spielberg film. Okay,
1: I like Spielberg enough.
0: And um, as is now becoming a cliche to observe, it is astonishing how well the effects hold up. Yeah, versus the
1: effects in this movie, I just I'm just gonna assume. You'll be able to talk more to this, I think.
0: Yeah, I think it will age uh, as well as uh, nothing. (laughs) I couldn't couldn't bother. As well as as
1: you've aged.
0: Yeah. I needed my punch-up, guys, to finish that sentence.
1: (laughs) You you gave the joke in a little bit too quickly.
0: So that was the first film. Um, So I was enough of, of a fan that I dabbled in reading the original novels by Michael Crichton.
1: On the original novel,
0: right? Well, there were two in the end. So, oh, But he wrote the, he
1: wrote the f- second one after the first one, right? Or after the movie came out, if I'm not mistaken.
0: He wrote the second one because Steven Spielberg essentially asked him to.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: And then they made the film loosely based on it, but not, not that heavily indebted to the second book. And uh, I also used to listen to uh, an audio tape reading of... Uh, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, by audiobook stalwart um, Anthony Heald.
1: Okay. I don't know who that is.
0: He's sort of a genuine character actor or actor who was in... He's just in bit parts, but he's in Silence of the Lambs.
1: Oh, does he play, like, the warden guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know who you're talking about.
0: Uh, but uh, I actually really like his narration of books <laughs> in an audio context. But I used to, like, listen to that... An abridged version of The Lost World, read by him obsessively. I used to like, go to sleep to it like every night.
1: I did that with uh, The Golden Compass. In and, and, and the second Harry Potter book.
0: I, th- I remember, because I was familiar with the Michael Crichton novel that just predated the release of the film, I was a bit disappointed with The Lost World. Um, because they go back... I didn't like that they took the dinosaurs out of the island and fiddled around in a city at the end which doesn't actually happen in the book. Although like reviewing The Lost World these days, um, it's still Spielberg and it's still it's still kind of fun. Then there was later Jurassic Park 3 in which Sam Neill made a return to the franchise. And Laura Dern, right? No, Taylor Leone is his love interest in that. I don't think, I think Laura... Laura
1: Dern's in it to some extent. Well, she,
0: if she's in it, she's barely in it. She might be in like an opening scene or something.
1: They should bring her back for the uh... They
0: should, they should. Like, I mean, Sam Neill and Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum Oh, why the original is
1: so good. They should just get rid of the uh, the new cast entirely. Yeah, they should. Um, number three is not bad, honestly. It's directed by uh, Joe Johnston, right? Yeah,
0: and it's uh, it's more of a, it's After the Lost World, it's kind of a scaling back. And it's more of a visceral adventure on the island again. And it's got sort of silly elements, like super intelligent dinosaurs sort of begin to creep into the franchise at that point. Oh, God. Or whatever, like some silly stuff around that. But it's, it's a fairly contained, enjoyable island adventure thriller type thing in jungles. So
1: it's 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 fine. And you you love a good jungle.
0: I love a good jungle. And then uh, obviously, as we know, Colin Trevorrow rebooted the franchise, coming off the heels of his amazingly successful debut film, which is what Safety Not Guaranteed. Have you seen that movie? It's terrible. Enjoyment not guaranteed. That was a punch-up trick. Got him. And uh, that film did not interest me whatsoever, so I didn't watch it, neither did you. I'm, I'm essentially the target audience based on how old I was for the original Jurassic Park and, and the nostalgia I theoretically would feel for recapturing that experience.
1: Yes. Well, I could not give less of a shit. Nonetheless, I did resist the
0: campaign for, the, for that film.
1: You and me being the seemingly only the two people in the world who hadn't seen it. Yeah, it's
0: one of the highest gracing films of all time. Yeah, which is
1: ridiculous. (laughs) Anyway,
0: and then for some reason we watched this film. (laughs) (laughs) Well, What would you say? Were you excited to see it? Um... No, I kind of... So as we've discussed previously on the podcast, you have access to the wonderful service in America known as MoviePass, which regrettably does not exist in Australia. So I have to fork out actual chunks of money for individual films. Yeah. So I resented the fact that I had to pay $7 for this.
1: It's like, how much is that in America?
0: It's like nothing. It's like, you know, 4 or $5 US.
1: That's like nothing.
0: But I mean, luckily it was only $7. So uh, from the location I'm in currently, I'm within walking distance of a few cinemas. A revival house about 15 minutes away. A art house slash mainstream franchise about 40 minutes walk away. Uh, and then I discovered that I'm only 20 minutes away or 25 minutes away from... Uh, another cinema that has $7 Tuesdays. Mm. So I didn't even have to pay for transport. I just walked down and watched this for $7. So it could have been worse. The film probably couldn't have been worse, but the price I paid for it could have been, which I guess guess is, is spoiling my reaction to the film or giving you some indication that I didn't enjoy this experience particularly much. It's an, it's a it's a curious film. Yes, and um, I've I've heard some things that it may incorporated ideas from a bizarre and terrible sounding screenplay for Jurassic Park Four that's been floating around for years.
1: It sounded crazy and wonderful almost. Uh, but you know, it's what's even more bizarre is that it's it was written by John Sales, who's mostly known for being like an independent film director, <laughs> finally observed and. Uh, was like, left winging like, portraits of rural American life. <laughs> it could not be farther from, uh, from Jurassic Park if you tried, I don't think. So it's weird that they were like, let's get him to do this.
0: But anyway, that that script didn't eventuate in a, in a film. But its legacy is, is apparently
1: integrated into this film.
0: Uh, yeah, so overall, I didn't enjoy
1: it. Did you? No, I would say I had the uh, opposite experience of enjoyment. loved it No, i thought it was uh very bad
0: cool all right so set it up so done (laughs) so uh the one one thing i want to say about this film of the many things that i want to say about this
1: film the burning
0: thing i had some notes i I need to find myself i wrote no notes so this is this is all on the fly i
1: wrote notes in the theater wow
0: um the structure of the film is odd so the huge set piece on the island. So originally they going to the island to supposedly rescue these dinosaurs who were threatened by a volcano and transport them to another island where they can be
1: safe. Yeah, sanctuary.
0: And I like the fact that when, when um, James Cromwell is trying to sell this plan to them initially, he speaks of the fact that Richard Attenborough's character in the first film was always wanted this for the dinosaurs, you know, to be on their own sanctuary and live out their existence independently. And that's that's obviously not what he wants. If you've seen Jurassic Park, he wanted a theme park. Like he made a theme park. <laughs> he wanted a, a Jurassic Park theme park. He didn't just want them to live there where he wouldn't have made a theme park, right?
1: I guess, I guess so. I don't know.
0: I mean, I could be misremembering, but I don't remember a plot point in the first film where he's like, oh, this theme park stuff is a necessary evil so I can fund my dinosaur sanctuary
1: i would i literally couldn't care
0: it was just like his hubris that he thought he could control nature so this this seemed like a a, a retconning thing essentially yeah i mean there's seemed there's seem a bunch of stuff um in this film that called back to the previous film we haven't seen so i did feel a little bit lost by some of the, the characters plotting. the main thing i'm referring to is like um there's a little girl in this film
1: oh i don't think she's in the other movie though so i don't know if that's Oh, really? Yeah, I think she's a new character.
0: No, no, like, I know the girl's a new character, but it seemed like her mother was in a previous film. No, I don't think she is either. Oh, that's weird. Then it just seemed like a weird plot then. (laughs) It's almost
1: like it was poorly written by two people who are terrible at making movies. I guess it's difficult to distinguish what's just bad
0: screenwriting and what actually is in the previous film.
1: It was poorly developed. Like, the rest of the movie was poorly developed.
0: So they're going to this island, right, and there's this active volcano... And there's a race against time to get these dinosaurs to safety. And this is one of the biggest set pieces of the film. Yes. And it culminates in the lead characters running, you know, meters from a lava pool um, in the midst of a a stream of fleeing dinosaurs as they try and reach uh, a boat that is leaving shore and is the only way off the island. And it's like a ludicrous set piece uh, that is visually not, Unenjoyable, I would say. I think there's some images uh, inherent in volcanoes and dinosaurs which are irresistible to a degree.
1: Yeah, I mean, irresistible to you, maybe. I found it very irresistible. And it's silly and
0: goofy, and I would have preferred if that was the third act of the film and that everything was building up to something like that happening because that seems to be the most dramatic and the most visually engaging section of this whole film. Yes. Whereas instead of that, well, curiously, this is the end of essentially the first act or the first or second act. And the rest of the film takes place uh, in like this gothic mansion in which these shady underworld figures and uh, compromised corporate shills are um, auctioning off dinosaurs to, the, uh, to mob figures. and. Which
1: I, I will say... I would, I, I kind of enjoy that as a concept. You know what I mean? Mm. Like a bunch of like just generic evil people of the world going to a dinosaur auction. <laughs> like that's great. But an execution was not so enjoyable.
0: So yeah, the, the rest of the film plays out as the, the lead characters running about this mansion, avoiding dinosaurs and foiling the, the bad guy's dinosaur auction.
1: The bad guy, who's played by Rafe Spall.
0: Rafe Spall, who's working with um, Toby Jones.
1: Playing, I feel like the character, who seemed a little, uh, in terms of his hairstyle, he's a little like uh, the current President of the United States, uh, Donald Trump. Did you get that vibe as well, or am I inventing this whole cloth?
0: I mean, you could be right, but I didn't. it didn't occur to me. Because
1: he, he has a very bad sort of comb over that's like orange-ish. Did he do an American accent? I've already forgotten. He was doing an accent. He
0: was doing an American accent, yeah, pretty sure. Because he also speaks Russian, but he, his normal default voice was vaguely American. It wasn't his normal accent, I don't think. But I can't remember, who knows.
1: <laughs> no one knows. It's it's a loss to, to time. Because no one will ever watch this movie.
0: I've pointed towards some general structural issues I had, and the fact that it culminates in this rather tedious running about the mansion segment. But I really think the main problem with this film is the characters. I mean, the only way these type of films work is if you have some vestigial of investment in what happens to these people. Yes. Or that to some degree you are are charmed by their exchanges with one another. Um, And none of those things occur in this film.
1: That is definitely true. And the
0: worst part is that you can feel the in the bones of the screenplay and the direction what they're trying to do and, and the reactions they're expecting you to have to these characters' playful banters, especially between Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard's characters, Owen oh, and Claire. You know, that they're this um, mismatched pair who are at each other's throats but really love each other. Yes. and have different... I mean, the first film is, is possibly a worse offender in this regard because that's the film in which they first meet and interact in that manner.
1: But let's not not talk about the film that we haven't seen.
0: So you can feel um, the cogs behind the scenes um, of these encounters wanting you to feel a certain way. You know, it's kind of charming or whatever, yeah. And it falls so horrendously flat at all stages of the film that no matter what else happens on screen or how well put together it is or isn't, doesn't really matter. I think that's the the main problem with this film. I couldn't care less about whatever happens to
1: anyone. I'm trying to think of because there's definitely like spectacle films that I think are successful despite me not caring that much for the main characters. Like look at Spielberg's Ready Player One, which I know I think I liked more than you did.
0: Uh, but I think I think I I was much more invested. Uh, although I mean it's not a it's not a large investment. Granted, I was much more invested in those characters than I was in these characters. Like it doesn't have to be like a full on, you know, <laughs> symbiotic empathy. It's just it's just like enough, just enough, right? Just enough to get to get by. You need you need a certain level of that to carry
1: you along. Otherwise, it just devolves into just like nonsense. And who cares? What did you think about the? Uh, I read an article that actually made me kind of excited to see this film, which is like, there might be a twist in this movie where there's a child who's perhaps made with raptor DNA. What did you think of that, the little girl subplot?
0: I mean, that was the thing that, that that made me, as I alluded to, made me think that I was missing out on something that had been established in the previous film, which may, may not be the case.
1: Yeah, it's very strange because there's all this setup.
0: Yeah, this little girl is introduced and uh, the way she's introduced is so portentous that you feel that she's going to be revealed to be something
1: later in the film. And may- maybe it's something they're setting up for the next movie. Which, uh, hey, g- good news, good news. They've announced that Trevorrow will be returning to the franchise. Thank God.
0: Yeah. But all that essentially happens is at one point they reveal that she's not actually, like, a biological daughter through the normal childbirthing process.
1: And it seems like Ray's Spall is coming close to revealing that she is the product of some sort of scientific process, but he does not do so for reasons that seem completely nonsensical to me.
0: Essentially what the scene is, is he says maybe, is it Cromwell, I guess, who was responsible for this?
1: Is that what it was? Yes. Yeah. It was a word, word governor Cromwell. War, the word protector of England. <laughs> anyway, so that he, he
0: implies that the James Cromwell character, because he's mastered DNA, used similar techniques to create a facsimile of his deceased daughter. As opposed to her actually being the daughter of his, his daughter.
1: Yeah, the daughter of his daughter.
0: Yeah, so I, I think that's pretty much what, it's, what it reveals in the film.
1: Yeah, I guess.
0: Uh, yeah, unfortunately they don't imply that she's also laced with raptor DNA or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> which, would have been, which would have been great. Like a callback to Lex or something. <laughs>
1: oh my god, I wish.
0: Anyway, what, what the hell are we talking about in this film?
1: We're talking about if, if she's being a she, raptor DNA. Yeah, we, anyway, what would. We, uh, bad film. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to. All right, I'm going to look at my notes real quick and see if there's anything in. Particular.
0: All right, so while you, while you look at your notes. Um, so I read a number of reviews, which mostly, most of which are lukewarm. Some of the reviewers were excited that it incorporates elements of franchises that aren't the previous Jurassic Park film, in the sense that it's going for this gothic horror. Yeah, whatever style, but it doesn't make it any better. The fact that it does that, like, it doesn't Im- improve the franchise.
1: Would have been good if they had succeeded at actually incorporating it well.
0: It, it, I don't know. Just just making that observation makes for decent copy in a Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom review, but doesn't improve the sure. film.
1: But it's like you're mentioning that this film has influences from uh, Got the Car, but you're just just saying that as if it's like a thing that enriches this film at all is ridiculous, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's just like an uninteresting version of that. Like it doesn't make it any better, I don't think.
0: What did you think of the performances of the actors, let alone the material?
1: Uh, I thought they were all terrible. I would agree. I, I can't think of a sequel performance that I like, enjoyed at all. I watching watching, uh, what's his name, uh, Buffalo Bill get his um, hand eaten off. That was pretty good. That's probably the only part of the movie I enjoyed, actually. Even though it was so like, oh, you're going to enjoy watching his hand get bit off that it kind of ruined it for you, I mean. <laughs> it matter if they just did it instead of being like, what, uh, uh,
0: uh. Anyone who came to this film hoping to see Jeff Goldblum make a triumphant return to the franchise. Oh
1: my God. It's so funny how he's in the film.
0: So yes, technically Jeff Goldblum is in this film reprising his role. He does not interact <laughs> with any of the characters. <laughs> No. So they obviously shot his scene in a day in a courtroom that has no bearing on the rest of the film whatsoever. No. But it just serves as an expository Throughline in a couple of scenes, right? In which he talks about the dangers of um, making dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, keeping these dinosaurs around. And he's just like, let the volcano destroy
1: them. Oh my God. Do you know, do you know what I actually hate about this movie? Mm. The uh, stupid dinosaur raid stuff. Oh, I don't care. Just make some fucking new. If you have the ability to make new dinosaurs, which they do in the world, they have an ability. Oh, they just make new ones. I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> the whole like plot. Of this movie is so stupid. But I think the thing they haven't explored,
0: which would happen by this point, given how many iterations of Jurassic Park there have been in this fictional world, like rival. Like you know, in the first. So well, I guess maybe you don't know, but in the first film, a central part of the plot, which makes sense is that there is a rival business interest trying to infiltrate Jurassic Park to obtain dinosaur DNA, right? That's crazy. But that will make sense. Like, if if in, in the world there was suddenly a Jurassic Park that had brought dinosaurs back to life and there was this expensive theme park, there would be rival business interests trying to do their own version of it. Yeah, for sure. And I think by the point of where, whenever Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is set in the franchise
1: relative to the first film,
0: I mean, wouldn't the whole world be, like, overflowing with this
1: technology? Yeah, presumably. I want to see, like, the, the really low-rent, like, shitty, like, the New Jersey Jurassic Park unit. <laughs> and then to make a funny film, like, a really, a, a
0: like, grubby rip off of it that obviously goes awry because it's it's, by definition, a cheap knockoff. It's not just, like... Um, a, a slick corporate operation that inevitably goes awry because of Jeff Goldblum's chaos theory.
1: What? <laughs> look, 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 I got a loan for the bank. It was for a million dollars for this Jurassic Park. Oh, there's a scene where I was really frustrated, and I, I can't tell which movie is lying to me. This movie or Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, right? Because there's a scene where Chris Pratt is like, he's been knocked unconscious by a tranquilizer dart. He's very near lava, which has uh, erupted, uh, even like from this volcano, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like laying near it, um, and the lava's coming down around him, and he doesn't catch on fire, <laughs> which is what happens to Anakin Skywalker. I I will say that this film's use of like the Spielberg face, right? You know, it always just makes everyone look like they're about to have an orgasm when they're looking Well, they they basically shot for shot
0: recreate the scene in the original Jurassic Park when they first arrive on the island and come face to face with one of those big long necked dinosaurs that we can't call Brontosaurs anymore. And they step out of the Jeep and they're looking up and they're amazed by it. Like they just do that basically exactly as it appears in the original film. I guess
1: I I I just don't, I don't find dinosaurs to be that awe-inspiring. So I just don't. You weren't a dinosaur kid? no like but the whole like the whole edifice of this film just doesn't work for me for that reason the final note was i want to walk out of this movie which is accurate i did want to walk out But it should we
0: talk about chris pratt and bryce dallas howard's amazing on-screen chemistry
1: i guess just let's talk about I mean, we already talked about how they have no chemistry we already talked about this to a large extent i think
0: but not specific to it's curious like the way they use chris pratt in this
1: film yeah
0: so what films have you seen him in? So it's like, there's the Guardians, of the, Guardians Galaxy, of the Galaxy franchise,
1: the television show uh, Parks and Recreation. Parks and Recreation, yeah.
0: Because I'm just wondering if he's been successfully employed in anything other than
1: those two franchises. Uh, people like the people like his voice acting in the Lego Movie. I think. Oh, uh, yeah, no, he's not bad in that. He's fine. He's in Zero Dark Thirty. Oh, didn't know, about, didn't know that.
0: I'm mainly thinking of the film where they're trying to make him a leading man adventurer type character like in this and guardians of the galaxy
1: he's in her he is yeah <laughs> what about uh, the passengers this, we should watch we should do passengers this episode i've always wanted to watch it
0: but i think from the available evidence so what i've seen him in where he has worked well yes which would be the guardians films uh, obviously parks and recreation where he came from and the lego movie he works well there's a certain aspect to his character that needs to be there for him to work in in those type of roles, which is like an inherent goofiness. Yeah. And um, from a screenplay perspective, the character he's playing here is not a goofy character.
1: Yeah, he's he's not really a character. I mean, what are his traits in this movie? <laughs> he wants to have a cabin. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Like, I, like I feel like he's supposed to be this roguish type character. Yeah, he's supposed
1: to be sort of Han Solo-ish. Yeah,
0: a, a Harrison Ford
1: archetype of some description. It's good that he, it's good that he's not in the Star Wars movie. I think there's a universe where he got cast as young Han Solo. I mean, there's a
0: possibility
1: that, I mean, there's a
0: strong possibility that the creative forces outside Chris Pratt's control are a big contributing factor to why he doesn't work very well in this role. Like, it is a terrible role.
1: It is. Because we just touched on the character doesn't have any personality at all.
0: No, no. But there may be an extent to which his screen presence doesn't lend itself to characters who don't have somewhat of an inbuilt goofiness to them, to their persona.
1: Yeah, I can get that. To
0: characters which, who, are, who are trying to be too straight. Even if they're jokey in some ways, it's not necessarily a goofy jokiness. It's like a wise-ass, hardened yeah. jokiness. Which um, whether or not he can successfully play that in other contexts does waste a lot of his, the charm that he brings to his roles.
1: I think. Yes. How do you get that?
0: Um, Bryce Dallas Howard as as Claire. I mean, her character doesn't really have much to it either. I mean, she's fine in the role, but like, what? She's not. She's she's just
1: like not a character. I don't think.
0: Then we have uh, Rafe Spall, who, funnily enough, I'm more familiar with as a, an actor in like British comedies. And, and now like Ben Mendelssohn, he's made the transition to being a corporate sleaze guy in these blockbusters. Oh
1: God, I feel bad for Ben Mendelssohn actually.
0: Brace ball has one of those faces that ensures that he can't be like the good guy.
1: Kind of like, film. kind of like Toby Jones.
0: And I actually quite like race. Ball. I think he, in certain contexts, um, He's quite good. Usually come I,
1: I think I've only seen him in this movie. I could be wrong about that. Well,
0: no, you, you've seen him in Prometheus.
1: He's terrible. I've not seen Prometheus, so... Oh, <laughs> you haven't? Okay. No. okay. I've only seen uh, Alien Covenant, which... Oh, okay. It's funny that you liked Alien Covenant and you haven't seen Prometheus. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I like Alien. Alien Covenant. Alien Covenant is kind of like the good version of this movie in a way. Yeah, yeah, Probably. You don't like Alien Covenant, though, so it's just not...
0: Such... I like it more than this, so I would say it yeah. qualifies as the good version of this. But it's not...
1: Would you call Alien Covenant a good movie? Nah, not really. Okay, so... But, um, let's see. I've also seen... I, I did not know he was in Hot Fuzz, which I've seen. Yeah, he's in Hot...
0: He's one of the, the mustached police
1: officers. And he's in... Uh, I haven't seen any other movies, but... It, so. The rest of the probably British stuff. Oh, he's an episode of Black Mirror. Oh, yeah, okay. He's not bad in that episode of Black Mirror.
0: He was in a, a sitcom that he starred in, and the gimmick of the sitcom was that it was just like a normal cringe comedy in which you would get into, like, awkward situations or whatever, but it would be commentated as if it was a sporting event, so it would cut away to commentators and stuff, which is kind of a dumb gimmick, but the show wasn't bad, and, and he was a large part of why it it worked at all, I think. uh so I think he's got potential in certain roles. But, I mean, I mean, he does he does the job here. Like, he comes across as, like, an oily guy. Yeah, he's in... fine. My favourite thing about this entire film, actually, comes in uh, one of the latter scenes in which Jeff Goldblum appears. So this courtroom sequence.
1: You mean the later scene in which Jeff yeah, Goldblum... Yeah, of
0: the two scenes, I guess. That's yeah. <laughs> um, <coughs> just split into two and bookends the film. It leads up to this speech. Like, after... The dinosaurs have been let out into the world, as it were. It leads up to this Goldblum speech in which he actually says, we truly are living in a Jurassic world. Oh, yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> as if the entire film was, like, orchestrated to justify the, t- the title. <laughs> like, why is it called Jurassic World? Well, I guess we released the dinosaurs.
1: Not, not, the, not the theme park that played a prominent role in the first one. Wait, are we all done? I don't know, do you have any more notes about it? Uh, uh, no. It's just bad, don't watch it. It's the worst blockbuster I've seen in quite a while, I think.
0: Picture a box. Just your average, everyday box. Except, this one doesn't have any marks on it. It's an unmarked box. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it was going. But I'll bet you'd like to find out what's inside. Join me on Unmarked Box. Every
1: day so often on uh, Off-Brand Horse. So let's move on to uh, our, I think this is a continuing thread, which is uh, us watching uh, Netflix original movies. Specifically Netflix original rom-coms. Very commonly, we
0: either watch Netflix
1: original sci-fi films or Netflix original rom-coms. <laughs> do you think? Do you think it's a product of them making a lot of those two films or t- genres? I think
0: they're the two genres that are kind of the easiest to consume when you know that it might not be good and it's made by Netflix. Yeah, I guess so. So the sci-fi stuff always has the inherent fascination of how are they gonna be sci-fi?
1: How is this gonna be bad?
0: Yeah. But in, in a sci-fi context, like, it's kind of more watchable than if it was just like a you know, a generic family drama or something that was a Netflix original.
1: Yeah, I guess so. But we've watched a lot of Netflix original films. Last week, we did a Netflix original film. War Machine, yeah. Yeah. Which is also intolerable.
0: And I think, similar to sci-fi, there's a certain pleasure to be had in watching the silly conventions of a romantic comedy unspool before you.
1: I mean, for you. For me, at least. I usually enjoy them. I... Usually do not.
0: Certainly there are exceptions. And uh, this week we have another (laughs) one of them. (laughs)
1: That's
0: two exceptions. It's weird
1: that you seem to focus on exceptions to your enjoyment of. Anyway, so I'll
0: I'll set this one up
1: as it were. Ah,
0: Set It Up is a Netflix original romantic comedy that's uh, just recently been released. Mid-June. Directed by Claire Scanlon and starring Zoe Deutsch. Deutsch? 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 Deutsch,
1: Deutsch, Deutsch. Let me see. Deutsch. <laughs> Zoe Deutsch. I don't
0: know. Let's just say Deutsch. Even yeah. though. Yeah. Zoe German.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna look up how to pronounce it, you continue. Alright. So it stars
0: Zoe Deutsch and some guy called Glenn Powell, <laughs> along with Tay Diggs and Lucy Lou. So, Zoe Deutsch and Glenn Powell play two overworked assistants. Zoe Deutsch's boss is Lucy Liu, uh, who's a sports writer.
1: Wait, just to interrupt you a little bit. It is Zoe, Zoe Deutsch. Okay, good.
0: Glenn Powell's boss is played by Tay Diggs, and he's just some corporate guy. I'm not even sure what his job was, but, yeah, it's a corporate environment.
1: They, he's a, he's a vi- venture capitalist, I think. Yeah, one of
0: those generic investor people, whatever. He is a
1: rich man who owns a big
0: company. Zoe Deutsch and uh, Glenn Powell are in the same building on different floors or something, I guess. They both realize that they're equally frustrated by the amount they're required to work at the behest of their bosses who don't seem to consider their welfare whatsoever. Yes. And often keep them at the office late into the night so that it's impossible for them to have a personal life. And we see how this affects their... Romantic prospects, etc., etc. Um, anyway, so they come to realize that they're both in the same boat, as it were, and they devise a plan in which they essentially set up their bosses to be in a relationship together. So they'll spend more time with one another, therefore releasing them from the stresses of their jobs. Mm-hmm. And as they specifically say in the film, they are conscious that they are playing romantic comedy matchmakers and they refer to the story of Cyrano de Bergerac, and they even employ the phrase meet cute in the film and try and orchestrate it. So there's a meta textual element within this romantic comedy.
1: Whoa, which makes it, that, that makes it good, right? That makes it good automatically. Yeah. If you're meta, it's good.
0: Just like the fact that Jurassic world is good because it has elements of another genre equally. Set it up is good because it makes winking reference to its own form.
1: It's it's aware of the fact that it's terrible. <laughs> I guess I, I guess I uh showed my hand. Yes, I thought this movie was terrible.
0: Man, we need to we need to have a, a, a moratorium on using that word.
1: <laughs> I need to open my dictionary so I can my thesaurus. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought this movie was very bad. <laughs> is that better? <laughs> Hugh, what did you think of the film, set it up?
0: Yeah, I I was very disappointed in this because for some reason it's received buzz as better than your average it has. romantic comedy. Possibly, as we alluded to, because it has these winks at the audience in terms of its form. and I don't know, it goes for contemporary references and uh, stuff. I don't know. I don't really know why this has any buzz. So this has what I would affectionately term a work screen.
1: <laughs> yes. Please um, further explain this term, which will definitely become the uh, sort of the thing that we're known for in the podcast game. We, we coined the term work screen. Yeah. And, and please, please uh, explain what that means.
0: So it has elements in its construction, which hint towards it being progressive and in line with, current trends around issues of race and relationships and all sorts of stuff. But yet when it comes down to it, it is as regressive as any romantic comedy from the nineties. Correct. Or earlier. And essentially what I mean by that is in its casting, technically 50% of its core cast are not white, right? There's two people of color um, who play the respective bosses of the characters. And when you look at the, The trailer for it, you know, it feels like they're an integral part of the story as well. And in the fictional world of the film, the white characters are professionally subordinate to the people of colour. But in the narrative world of the film, the world that actually really matters in terms of our viewing experience, the people of colour are just subordinate to the white characters. (laughs) Because the only story that really matters is this white heteronormative relationship between... Story Deutsch and Glenn Powell, who eventually get together at the end. And on the sidelines, essentially, we have the, uh, these other characters, in- including um, gay
1: characters as well. The gay character played by a straight man.
0: And I mean, I, I don't necessarily think it's automatically not uh, okay for a film to have two white characters in a heteronormative relationship who live happily thereafter, after, and that's the story. That's fine. It's the fact that it, you know, has this, as you said, veneer of being a woke film or woke screen
1: it seems to want to present itself as a woke woke
0: yeah it seems to want to present itself as um, being up to date on those sort of issues
1: i feel like some of the reception to it has been because of the the woke screen
0: i think the film would be better if lucy Liu had more of a part certainly
1: (laughs) yeah poor lucy Liu.
0: I mean, Tay Diggs is kind of terrible in this film. I'm not. I don't know much he about is. him, but he's not very good in in this particular role as uh, Glenn Powell's boss. But certainly, I would have preferred uh, Lucy Liu to have a, more of a presence in this film.
1: Yeah, me too. Because Lucy Liu is great.
0: Did you enjoy the stylings of Glenn Powell? I'm not sure what type of stylings they were, but the white guy's uh, styling, the, <laughs>
1: the serial killer styling, I think. I thought he was really annoying, and also thought he was a serial killer, so...
0: He looks like, you know, the top 20 results if you type generic American white guy into Google Images. (laughs) And he has one of those uh, American faces that, even if, like, a different accent came out of his mouth, it would feel
1: wrong. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a very square jaw.
0: Zoe, like, Zoe Deutsch is is okay. I didn't mind her so much.
1: She's, She's, like, I don't know, like... I, I always feel so bizarre, like evaluating performances as, as if they're like taken out of, you know, like take them out of the the rest of the context of the film. Like, sure, she's like whatever, but the material was so awful, it, like precludes having a good performance in a way. You, the uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the the term rom com is actually a portmanteau of two other words, uh, romantic, and then comedic. Is that correct? That is accurate. So, uh, I want I want to know, did you find the romance in this movie romantic? No. Nope. Did you find the comedic in this movie funny? No. Nope. Did you laugh at all? No. Nope. I found exactly one moment to be uh, humorous. And I don't even mean, like, I didn't even laugh at it. Okay, it was at the very end when he's like, I need to get to the airport to, to, to stop them from going on the ho- honeymoon. He's like... Oh wait! <laughs> I have four hours to get there. I thought that was kind of funny.
0: I think this is like the worst moment of the of the film's attempts at comedy, uh, in which the Glenn Powell character is trying to reconcile, or I don't know, he's doing something with his uh, previous girlfriend, who he obviously breaks up with in favor of sorry, Deutsch, at some
1: point. Who's also also a person of color.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. He's going to his his girlfriend's house because he's because he's been so overworked that it's really hard for him to see his girlfriend at proper hours. He goes over to her house late at night and she's already asleep. And, um, or like she's just woken up from his buzzing of the door thing. And, uh, and she's going like, I'm really tired. I'm, I've, I'm, I've been sleeping. And he's like, Oh, I can wake you up with my peen. Oh,
1: Jesus. Yeah. That was,
0: that was essentially the line he uses. Right. And then he realizes that it sounds rapey. So he like yeah. goes back on it and like, no, that's, that's not, not what I mean. And then, when she ultimately rejects him anyway, and he walks down the stoop, there's like a homeless guy sitting next to him, and the homeless guy goes, hey, you can wake me up with your peen.
1: Oh, yeah, God. So, yeah.
0: I mean, that's enough. I mean, that's really all you need to know about this film, that that made it into the film.
1: Now, you you found, you, uh, found the racial politics of the film to be offensive and regressive.
0: It's always a joy listening to... A straight white man chastises a harmless Netflix romantic comedy on behalf of people of color and, and different sexual orientations.
1: But I will I will criticize it on a totally different <laughs> display. <laughs> which maybe the film isn't so harmless, to you? Because did you know that it's actually propaganda for for the uh, one of the, the horrors of living in capitalist society, which is the expectation of overwork. Because in, in a way, this film glorifies um, having your boss be a total asshole who abuses you and forces you to work incredibly late hours because they're pieces of shit. <laughs> I,
0: I would disagree that this film glorifies it because isn't the whole setup of the film to get out of that cycle?
1: It obviously portrays it as not like a great thing, but like in Zoe Deutsch's character arc, right, there's that bit where we see Zoe was like, oh, I did this... Because it'll prepare you into this industry, which is terrible, right? And to me, that's like saying, like, this is something that's required if you want to perform correctly in this society, right?
2: Mm.
1: And you know, you maybe you could make something critic. You could make it. You could build that into a criticism of society as a whole, right? Or capitalist society, in that way. But it doesn't really treat the film it as such. And Lucille's character is very much sort of like. I don't know. I feel like it, it, the film doesn't position her as like a villain at the end. Of, of the two bosses, she gets
0: yeah, she gets the more favorable um, representation. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes, because I feel like it's you know it's like corporate feminism. We don't have to get into this. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely, I definitely, it definitely felt like that to me, right? Where it's like, you know, what's really feminist is not uh, over uh, overthrowing society and making it into a you know, new society that treats women fairly. It's allowing women to penetrate the upper echelons of the already existing society, which, I don't know if I agree with that, Hugh. I think, I think society is really bad. And I don't think making uh, the current systems that we have um, racially and uh, gender neutral would really solve that much. <laughs> and I think that would be better than it is currently to be sure but it's still uh allowing a system exist which exploits people and uh i don't know i found that to be galling sounds like
0: we've both been thinking too much about the 2018 netflix original (laughs) romantic comedy film set it
1: up whatever (laughs) whatever (laughs) whatever you know what I I, I don't care I don't care fuck fuck who thinks that but yeah and I I thought it was really it's just really strange to me that Lucy Liu's character doesn't receive any kind of uh, come offence yeah
0: I wouldn't necessarily characterize the film's overall message as some form of propaganda about the system being great and I I think the film would have been stronger if there was some more more acknowledgement on Lucy Liu's part that what she was doing to her employee was exactly the same as what Tay Diggs was doing to his.
1: Yeah, but it's like essentially like um, the the moral transgression which uh, Tay Diggs performs to make him a worse person than Lucy was that he cheats on her. Yes, he breaks up the sanctity of
0: of the family unit.
1: Yeah, yes, in American <laughs> society, the yeah. heteronormative. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it sounds like you're Dorsey cheating to an extent. Just fine. I want you to use that if you ever cheat on your any partner that you have. I want you to use that as your uh, excuse for why you did it. (laughs) Uh, What was I talking about? I don't even remember. Oh, but yeah, it's just it's it's so like that's that's the line that he crosses that she doesn't cross, and it's such like a minor thing. Like it's obviously a terrible thing. No one should ever cheat on their partners, but like I mean, I don't know. There didn't seem to be that much that separated them morally, (laughs) and the film doesn't acknowledge that. So it kind of like is completely toothless but it's like oh man Tay Diggs' character is such a bad guy you know
0: and I don't think it would have been that difficult to script a scene in which Lucy Liu has a moment of epiphany in which she realizes how she's been mistreating Zoe Dutch and still be like a decent character on some level or at least be more um, self-aware than Tay Diggs' character like yeah. well, even if I mean I don't think that.
1: this movie would have been good if that had happened I would have pointed that
0: out no because you still have the rest of the movie <laughs> If you took out the rest of the movie and replaced it
1: with a different movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, that's why I, I think I kind of view it as like a uh, mea culpa, or not a mea culpa, but like a, um, a justification of uh, exploitative bosses in a way, because it, it allows for there to be a good version of it. You know what I mean?
0: Mm. I would say like I enjoy, enjoy watching silly romantic comedies a lot. Like it, it's, 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 it's something I can consume without thinking. And enjoy in a lot of cases I would say I do not um, and it's actually impressive to come across a film like this which like actively enrages
1: me <laughs> throughout the experience <laughs> of watching what it. what what enraged you about this movie that's what I'm pro- curious about so
0: here's, here's the thing so when you're watching a romantic comedy you're dealing with a f- form that is like so encoded with with its structure and tropes yeah of course the, there's no, there's usually no surprises in in the way the narrative plays out but there's there can be a joy in how that's executed and and uh you know the charm or chemistry between the actors
1: could it overcome or Imbue these tropes with life, yeah.
0: Yeah, and there's like a freshness to the script or the dialogue or whatever. But it becomes intolerable when they veer from that lane and go for something that is more self-aware about the tropes and more aware of, I don't know, potential current issues that are are going on in society and winks towards contemporary styles of of humour and that sort of stuff, which this film... Definitely does.
1: I will say, I think you can do that if you overturn the tropes.
0: Yeah, no, I think you can do that if you're really talented and you find a way to subvert that and and comment upon it, or you're just really funny and you can pull that off. You're right. Yeah. But when it's like a you know a mediocre type of romantic comedy, which is which this is, and it makes plays for those kind of things, I don't know. It makes the experience just it sours the experience for me. Because it's trying to be better than it is. like it, it, It's trying to be above a normal romantic comedy while, conf- while almost offensively conforming to that. And that's why what we, th- we said about the fact that it decorates the romantic comedy with um, a more diverse cast and it represents other perspectives on the periphery of this film. It's ultimately even more disappointing when it just all collapses into this normal relationship that we've seen a million times before with this type of faces we've seen a million times before. Whereas, I mean, this sounds bad, but if everyone else was white, it wouldn't have necessarily <laughs> had pretty that real. problem. You'd have loved it. <laughs> Which is not what I mean by that, but you know what I mean? Like it feels, it feels like they don't want to actually integrate, um, people of color into the core narrative. Yeah. I totally agree. It's yeah. As you said, toothless in, in their ultimate execution of that. They're like, Oh, well, it's okay if we just, and this is the problem with, um, diverse casting is that for so many years, when at least there was some consciousness that you should be diverse in casting, um, it's only gone as far as decorating the periphery of the film. I mean,
1: that's how 90s or were right? comedies were to an extent,
0: Yeah, right? I mean, so that's why you got all these films in which the lion's share of the dialogue and the narrative drive are for white people, but they have like a black best friend
1: or a gay best friend or a gay best friend. This film is innovative than it is both,
0: and the and the circle of they usually have like, it's funny, there's always like a male and they have like a circle of friends and there's always one black person and then all the rest of the people are white and the black pe- person, for whatever reason, doesn't have any other friends of, of color. He just has a group of all white friends.
1: Yeah, of course. That's how every black person is, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, the other romantic comedy we watched, I guess, had that kind of role um, in when we first met. Yeah. movie <laughs> I've
1: forgotten about it.
0: And yeah, that that was all through the 90s and and, and you you know what
1: you enjoyed that film, so proving that point. film's much better.
0: I mean, it's good. Like, there's there's a sense which it's good that it's the step in the right direction of actually appearing as any sort of character on the film that's not denigrated. But there's still like it's still 2018. Like, we should we should have a little bit better than that. Like, why isn't it an interrac- interracial couple at the centre? No,
1: I still think I would have hated this film even if it.
0: And I, I mean, again, I, I, the the problem is not just the fact that it, it's a white heterosexual relationship at the center because that that you can do that. That's fine. It's just the fact that it, it as the title uh, indicates, it, it sets it up to be more than that. It sets it up to be more progressive and more representational and diverse than it at heart is. And that's that's what we really have a problem with.
1: And we also just hate white people.
0: Actually, I didn't even notice it was a diverse cast because I'm post-race. <laughs>
1: You'd even see race. That's so cool. I wish I was like you. I see all race <laughs> all the time. All. I, know, I see nothing but race. <laughs>
0: um. Anyway, so we should stop talking about set it up. Ugh,
1: this is going to be torturous to edit. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna. You can just dub. You just get rid of the first hour.
0: <laughs> no, even the way we've. I can. I can sense the way we've talked about both films. Has been a mixture of like decent chunks, and then garbage, and then. Decent chunks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That'll be great. You don't know what you're yeah, talking yeah. about. Do you have anything else to say about? It? Set it up. Don't watch this. I mean, if you like it, you like it. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. Of course. If you if you enjoy this type of film and are um, able, I mean, obviously, like, uh, there's plenty of films that I take pleasure from which have terrible and offensive elements. So mm. I'm not like. I don't know. I just feel like it's been given a pass to some degree, and I think that uh, it's a little hypocritical of people to, like, examine films besides this one in that lens and not extend it to this one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they got caught at the woke screen. Yeah.
0: Woke <laughs> <laughs> screen. Let's just say it as many times as we can.
1: What <laughs> the episode title's gonna be? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna call it woke screen. Yep, yeah, done. The the um, the woke sque- screen. Yeah, the woke screen.
0: So I think it's probably important to point out that, you know, when you are consuming media, you can have all these problems with a film in terms of its portrayal of race or, or, or gender or sexuality and also appreciate other elements of the film. Yeah, um, It's not about necessarily throwing the whole film away because we had an issue with that, right?
1: So I'm throwing this whole film away for... A
0: variety of reasons. There's some films that are so ideologically corrupt that, you know, you can't separate it and you have to just, you know, dismiss the entire product. But there are things like this that that have endemic elements that are essentially a reflection of the systems that produce them. Yes. uh, Which are bad and and should be called out or should be questioned. Um, But it doesn't mean you blindside yourself to any of its other qualities, right? You can have a complex, nuanced relationship to... A piece of media like this. Yes. The the main problem with this film is that if you take away those issues and pretend they're not there, which we we can theoretically do, the its actual existence as a romantic comedy is deeply flawed.
1: It's predicated on two uninteresting leads.
0: Yeah. So the two uninteresting leads, I find wincingly terrible uh, attempts at contemporary humor that um, are a, a different style than you'd normally find in. A generic romantic comedy.
1: A score that is so impossible to listen to. It saps the life out of me.
0: Yeah, so I, I just think on an, any level there, it's 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 a
1: f- flop. Yeah. It's bad. And, and Don't watch it. The, this is the flop house. <laughs> okay, so we move on to what we've been watching. I just gave
0: an extra half star to Citizen Kane.
1: <laughs> oh my god. Wow, so impressive. <laughs> you fucking etch I guess you should say that uh he rated Citizen Kane much lower than uh the required
0: five stars. When you when you rate it lower than five stars on like letterbox it says, Are you sure you meant to rate Citizen Kane?
1: <laughs> Did your mouth slip? Hurst seems like a bad guy. He's a good guy, and I'll tell you why.
0: Well I don't I, I don't think Citizen Kane is like a completely damning portrait for one thing. I mean it's definitely not like a
1: positive portrait of him.
0: Like he's flawed, but he's not like Yeah,
1: but he's given an emotional like wife. Like he's not like a Two-dimensional villain.
0: He has multitudes. He's like a box of chocolates. Uh, no, but William Hurst will forever be in my favor because he's the only reason that Crazy Cat remained in print for decades. Apparently he murdered
1: someone in real life, or had them murdered. Again, you got to take these things on balance with Crazy Cat. <laughs> so, Crazy Cat, how many lives is Crazy Cat worth to you? I could, uh... I could happily
0: like let a nation sink into the sea <laughs> to keep crazy. Like, well, what okay.
1: I? Okay. What sort of nation are we talking about? Okay. An island nation. An island <laughs> So it's sort of like a racist thing you're saying, right? I mean, a little bit. No, Australia is an island nation. Yeah, so is every nation. <laughs> Not a landlocked nation. that's like in the middle of Europe. Okay. But every nation is on an island.
0: Yeah, but like an island nation implies that the whole island is the nation.
1: <laughs> yeah, whatever.
0: All right, so now we move on to the segment of the show in which we talk about other stuff we've been watching throughout the week. Some things that I've been actually leaving the house to watch include a series of Japanese films um, because there is a feature or a series at the moment at one of our cinemas um, centered around the actress, um, Kinu Tanaka.
2: Hmm.
0: Actress who also became a director in her own right. And directed about six features in the end. Um so they're showing a series of her films. Um she became famous in some of the early Ozu films as a as a young actor. Um but has appeared in a number of Ozu and, and Mizuguchi films. Like she's been in films that I've talked about before on the podcast, like Life of Ahru, Getsu. Um uh, so these are a bit more obscure films they're showing. Um so they they started with the Mizuguchi film, Miss Oyu, which is kind of like a romantic comedy or a tragic romance with no comedy, <laughs> um, which is an enjoyable film. I, I quite like that. And then they, they showed one of her directorial efforts, The Wandering Princess, which is a technicolor extravaganza um, that sort of deals with Japan's relationship with China and Mongolia during um, the aftermath or during World War II, actually. Oh, and, the, and its aftermath. That sounds like it
1: could be uncomfortable.
0: So, I guess it has its heart in the right place. The scenes that feature Chinese dialogue seem a bit off and <laughs> stilted.
1: As you can know, because you're fluent in both. Uh...
0: In Japanese and Mandarin, yeah. So, there's something odd about it. And it's a really tonally strange film. It has some lovely scenes and some uh, really well staged action sequences or war sequences, actually but it has one of the most curious depictions of suicide I've ever seen. So like the the story concerns uh, um, a princess, a Japanese princess, who is sort of set up in this arranged marriage with this Mongolian general to be like a bridge between the two empires. Because of the events uh, of the war, and, and the Soviets coming in on the Mongolian border and stuff like that. She gets displaced and her husband gets captured and, they, and she goes on this long journey with her daughter, this long arduous journey in which they're captured and released, etc. And then she finally makes it, makes her way back to Japan and her husband's still in prison and they're like corresponding in letters and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. She goes, Oh, my daughter's now flourishing and she's doing really well. And they show scenes of the daughter like at school and really happy. And then there's, there's then you don't really see her again and then um she writes another letter and she's like oh so our daughter killed herself <laughs> she goes i guess i didn't see the the sadness um that was there and nor did the audience <laughs> because it's not shown in the film whatsoever That's so bizarre so it's like so offhand and and odd <laughs> that it's just like in two seconds the daughter character is dispensed with and then rather neatly, the, the film ends with her just hoping and assuming that they'll get together at some point, but they don't actually show it. It just ends unresolved, which I kind of liked. It's interesting. So I don't think it's a, a perfect film by any any means. And it's uh, it has some pacing problems. So it feels, it feels longer than it's um, 100 minutes or so. But it's an interesting film. Worth a watch. Yeah, worth a watch. The next week, I watched uh, a couple more films. So one of them was an Ozu film in which Tanaka stars a hen in the Wind, which is, which is another example of Ozu's genius, I guess, if I may say so.
1: Ah yeah yeah.
0: In a film again, about a returned serviceman from the war and a woman who has to resort temporarily to prostitution in order to get by, and the sort of fallout from that when her husband discovers what happened.. <sighs> Mm-hmm. Um, so it's quite a complex portrayal, culminating in the husband pushing her down the stairs, and it appears like she literally falls down the stairs. So I don't know about the safety regulations that were in place when they filmed that scene, but it looks like Tanaka literally just falls down the stairs. That is the the turning point in their relationship, <laughs> <laughs> live happily ever after kind of. So I mean that that, that that element is a bit off. I mean it's not quite that simplistic. It's like a it's more complex than that. It's still really beautifully made and it's an interesting film to look at as well. But the next film, which was one of Tanaka's earlier directorial efforts, uh, is a film called Eternal Breasts. Eternal what? Eternal Breasts. So when you first come across that title, you're like, this is some weird translation of, of the original Japanese that's lost something. <laughs> um, but that, turn out, that turns out to be an appropriate title for the film. So it's actually based or loosely inspired on the story of a real Japanese poet. Well, I don't want to, I
1: don't want to interrupt your description of this, but, um, just an FYI, you can watch this movie on in free or in full on YouTube, apparently. So if you're interested by, Hugh's description.
0: Um, the lead character is a poetess as they call her in the subtitles, um, which is one of my favorite gendered terms, poetess. (laughs) Uh, She's a poet. Um, and she's in a horrible marriage initially but privately she's pursuing her poetry with like a poetry circle. And she's, she's getting a name for herself in that context. Um, she ends up divorcing her husband and um, it turns out that she's secretly in love with uh, one of the other people in the poetry circle who himself is already married. And then she gets diagnosed with breast cancer and loses both of her breasts in a double mastectomy. And the way all this stuff is shot is quite bold for its time and the way it deals with these issues. Uh, like it was a 1955 film. I guess from a female feminist perspective, it's 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 a really rich film for a lot of the ways that it deals with these issues of, of a divorcee and someone who gets breast cancer, the way she's treated as a woman and the way she feels after she loses her breasts. And she writes a poem called Lost Breasts and, 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 th- and that sort of stuff. And then there's this great scene later on in which after she's had the operation... It sort of liberates her from some of her the concerns that maybe held her back in the past and she becomes more impulsive and she goes over to the household of the man she was in love with who also died at some point in the film but the wife is still alive and asks to have a bath and like shamelessly admits to the wife of the of her the person she loved that she just wanted to be in the bathtub of her late husband (laughs) Because she was in love with him, and uh, the woman recoils in horror when she looks through the into the bathroom and sees that, and sees her breastless chest, but she's not ashamed of it. Worth a watch. Yeah, it's long and, and melodramatic. I mean, if it, again there's some pacing issues, like it feels a little drawn out. But certainly of the two films I've seen that she's directed, it's it's the it's the better one. It's the one I would
1: definitely seek out. I'll think about doing so. So I watched a few other things. I watched. Saturn 3. I want you to go into detail about that, actually. Because I read the plot description and it sounded completely insane.
0: Yeah, it's like a... So, Saturn 3 is um, the passion project of John Barry, who was a production designer on notable sci-fi films like Star Wars. And he had this (gasps) idea, this seed of an idea for a story that featured a couple of people on this outpost on a planet who are lovers. And then a scientist arrives with a robot designed to help them with their duties and things go awry from there. So he had that idea. And um, he was scheduled to work on Empire Strikes Back, but under the proviso that if his film got greenlit, he would leave it to direct it. And that's what happened. So it went into production. One of the producers was Stanley Donnan, famed um, American director whose uh, classics include co-directing *Sing in the Rain. The stars attached to the film were Kirk Douglas and Farrah Fawcett, along with the up-and-coming star... Mm-hmm. Harvey Keitel.
1: You made that as like, if it was a big reveal.
0: No, I couldn't remember his name for a second. <laughs> I <remember>. That's sad. <laughs> That's age. To get to this point, um, another famed person was attached to this project, and that was Martin Amos, who, although... Does not seem like a natural fit to the source material apparently was an avid sci-fi fan himself when he was growing up so now he wrote a draft of the script I would be surprised if a single word of that made it into the film I watched was he credited as the he's credited as the screenwriter um apparently um it went through like every single ghostwriter in town or you know um those people that do uncredited punch-ups of screenplays everyone had a go at it <laughs> and until we get to the the final film that we have here and um john barry had troubles on the set apparently he clashed with kirk douglas and there's a bit of a dispute about exactly how he left the film or why he left the film or if he was fired or not but whatever happened stanley donnan stepped in and took over directing duties And John Barry returned to his work on Empire Strikes Back as like a second assistant director, a second unit director or something. And uh, the film proceeded. Now, Harvey Keitel refused to be involved in the post-production process for whatever reason. (laughs) That's pretty funny. And Stanley Donnan apparently was not satisfied with his natural uh, Brooklyn accent in the context of this sci-fi universe. So to deal with both concerns... Um, he was dubbed over by <laughs> a guy with, like, a British accent. <laughs> that's so weird. Which plays so ridiculously in the film. So none of Harvey Keitel's uh, vocal work uh, survives. It's all overdubbed um, in post. <laughs> <laughs> by just a random British guy? It's either British guy or, like, a transatlantic type accent that's sort of trying to be posh British slash American or something. It's it's kind of... Uh, generic british accent but it's hilarious it's kind of worth watching for that i mean the film is obviously terrible um it's hilarious to me that um kirk douglas apparently insisted on appearing nude in the film really Um, apparently he was extremely vain about the way he was aging and there's even a line of dialogue after he shows his naked body to pharaoh fawcett in which he says is this the body of an old man And everyone in the audience is like, yes, 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 it is, definitely. definitely." (laughs) Do you see his penis? No, you see his ass, but you don't see his penis. Um, He's got one of those classic Hollywood um, male bodies that don't exist anymore, that are really chunky in the torso. They don't have that um, curvy design of a modern hunk. It's all just like from the hip to the bottom of the arm. It's just like a diagonal line. (laughs) Um, But that's a good film. No, it's, it's a pretty okay. It's, it's a terrible film, but it's it's kind of worth. It's kind of interesting to watch. It's an interesting phenomenon. I do. It does sound like I want to watch it at some point. Unfortunately, there's not enough. There's some deleted scenes that that are kind of uh, that would have made it more fun that were taken out. But and the robot never has sex.
1: <laughs> That's a shame. Even it's a horny robot, right? Yeah, it's not not realized in the way you'd like it to be. So I won't. I will be able to master redo it. Then.
0: Yeah. Um, I watched Man Up, which is the a romantic comedy with um, Simon Pegg and Lake Bell, and I actually really enjoyed it. That's the kind of romantic comedy I like watching. But you only rated it three stars on. But that's like a lot more stars than Set It Up gets, because it's not great. Or a uh, or Citizen Kane. <laughs> <laughs> no, Citizen Kane's on three and a half at the moment. That's <laughs> it's
1: got a uh, entire star then.
0: Um, so the premise of Man Up is that um, Simon Pegg's on a blind. I, my, favorite,
1: my favorite interaction that we have is when I say something that is so disinteresting to you that you just take a pause and then you just come back to what you were talking about.
0: To Man Up. The premise of Man Up is that um, Lake Bell gets mistaken for Simon Pegg's blind date. And she goes along with it and misleads him into thinking that she was the one he was supposed to meet up with because she obviously feels that maybe this would lead to something good or whatever. Um, So that's like a a familiar kind of setup you'd expect for a a romantic comedy, but the deception is revealed pretty early on in the film, which I think was a good point. Mm -hmm. So there's a long stretch of the film in which we we lead from their um, conflict with one another in the wake of this deception. Um, to the point where they ultimately reconcile, which I think is a good way of dealing with it. And I like both the leads in the film. I don't usually like Simon Peg in outside of his work with Edgar Wright, quite honestly. He was like, good here. But yeah, I enjoyed him here, and Lake Bell was good. It was just a fun romantic comedy that if you're looking for something that's not set it up, I would recommend this one.
1: I won't watch this.
0: And lastly, I watched The Sacrifice, which is Tarkovsky's last film at the cinema.
1: Not its last film in heaven.
0: No, uh, uh, it's number
2: one all over heaven. Anyway,
1: I'm to, I was I was going to sing the uh, the friends theme, but I couldn't even think of it. So I'll be there for oh, you. thank you, thank you.
2: So no one told you that. Way. Anyway, you have three minutes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so tired. Uh, I'll be I'll be quick. So I I watched the movies too. Did you know that? Really. All right, cool. Yeah, I did. That's Project
2: A Plus this week.
1: I watched a couple of films. I watched the movie National Treasure. Have you seen National Treasure?
0: Um, not in full. I've only caught bits of it. I've, I I want to watch it, though. Pretty
1: fun. Uh, a little too, of its time, um, Indiana Jones knockoff starring Nicolas Cage. It's a little weird to watch that movie when your president is Donald Trump, because it makes it just seem a little... I don't know. It's, it ends in a context, which is strange to... Ah, uh, yes, the foundation of america this is such a great thing to witness it's like "Mm, maybe it's not but um that's not really on the film itself i suppose and then i watched before that i watched the godard film uh les cara bin nears which translates to the rifleman which i thought was bad um and very sort of um It had some interesting stuff, but for the most part I was just sort of like plodding and boring. Um, And I watched the movie Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which was okay. It was a perfectly serviceable Harry Potter movie didn't really do that much for me, but it was was okay. It was like watchable. And I watched Isle of Dogs for the second time, a great film. They're a pretty good film anyway. I watched Martin Scorsese's Casino. This movie about a casino. I watched the film Hereditary, which I actually thought is another uh, example of the set-it-up syndrome, where something was uh, hyped so much that I was really excited to see it, and then when I finally did see it, I was like, eh, this is okay, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's not that scary. I, did, I didn't think it was scary. I wish it was scarier. Uh, I watched the movie Heat, which I thought was brilliant and amazing, and I love Michael Mann. This is the first time I've ever seen Heat. I thought it was just a... Great moody crime drama saga. Um, it just feels cool and fun, and um, I don't know. Features some really great performances. It's one of the best casts ever assembled for film, I think. Um, and then I watched the movie The King of Comedy, which I also loved. It's probably my favorite. One of here Scorsese, another first viewing for me. Uh, immediately shot it to one of the top uh, Scorsese films. Um, and yeah, it's great. It's uh, it's really. Odd and funny and, um, sometimes really hard to watch, um, to the point where it took, it took me several attempts to get through it, because I was so, uh, embarrassed vicariously hmm. that I found it hard to watch at points. Um, but I think it's probably, it's probably my favorite Robert in your performance, like, period. it's Scorsese's direction, it's just so perfect, and there's so many great images that are just... I don't know, a summation of the film's ideas in a single, like, frame. And it's just it's just so brilliant and great. And uh, Jerry Lewis also gives a like, great performance in that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's it, I think. All right, cool. Because I have to go. <laughs> I think I've also miscalculated the time I should have started getting ready. <laughs> well, you've already missed it, so you might as well record for another three hours.
0: No, 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 no. I'm, I'll, I'll just be, like, turning up at the time
1: instead of slightly before.
0: I gotta go. All right, we'll have fun. See you later. Goodbye, team. Goodbye,
1: listening audience. Wait, can you just say? I, can you just say I need to go to the toilet? No, oh god! No, please don't do this. Um, we'll announce what we're going to do on a on our Twitter account. <laughs> and uh, and uh, make sure to subscribe to uh, Audible for ten percent off. Yeah. All right. Bye. Yeah. Goodbye. I'm proud